0: LifePoint Church in Ozark, Missouri. LifePoint is a body of believers led by God's Spirit to engage in His redemptive mission in the world. We love Jesus and desire to serve Him by leading people to be real Christ followers in life together. We hope that this message will be a blessing and an encouragement for your life. If you would like more information about LifePoint Church, please visit us on the web at www.lifepointozark.com. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 30. You may have already noticed, but my sleeves are rolled up today. We've got some hard work to do this morning, and I need you to enter in with me. My prayer is that today will be helpful and encouragement for us in a powerful way Um, I believe God wants to speak to us this morning, very specifically through His Word. So let's go to Isaiah. I'm going to read verses 18 through 22 of Isaiah chapter 30. Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore He exalts Himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for Him. For a people shall dwell in Zion, in Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore. But your eyes shall see your teacher. And your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way walk in it. When you turn to the right or when you turn to the left, then you will defile your carved idols overlaid with silver and your gold-plated metal images. You will scatter them as unclean things. You will say to them, be gone. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. Can I lead us in a prayer? Just ask God to help us this morning, to help us to receive what he has for us, to understand and to trust all that he wants to do in this time. Let's go before the Lord. Heavenly Father, in humility we bow before you. In awe and honor we worship you. And God, we gather around your word today and we ask that you would speak to us. Your word is your word. You have spoken. And today, Lord, we need to hear from you. And so we ask that you would imprint it upon our hearts, that you would press it up on our lives, and that you would bring us into a fuller understanding, a deeper awe, and a greater love for you, that we might worship you as you alone are worthy. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to talk to you this morning about hearing from God in hard times. Hearing from God in hard times. When was the last time you reached a point in your life when you felt like you really needed to hear God speak? You know what I'm saying? I'm not talking about, yeah, it'd be great if he had something to say to me. But I mean, when you felt like Your life was at a moment where if you didn't hear God speak, things were going to come unraveled at a speed that you couldn't undo. Have you ever been at a point like this? Maybe a decision that you needed to make in your life. A situation or a relationship where you needed clarity of mind and of heart in what you were to do next. Maybe you just needed to bring peace or certainty to a heavy burden or weight that was upon your heart or upon your life. I know many of you have been dealing with hard times and I want to encourage us today. I want to help us today with this word from the Lord. We didn't read it, but in the first 17 verses of Isaiah 30, there is a context that helps us, that is very appropriate for us to understand leading up to verse 18. And it's really summarized very well in the first three words of the whole chapter. And here's what God says. Ah, stubborn children. (laughs) If you're a parent and your child's older than, say, a month, You've said that too. Or at least you felt it, right? Ah, stubborn children. You see, Isaiah 31 through 17 describes a people that are enslaved to sin. They have intentionally, they have openly, and they have flagrantly rebelled against God. And then even when they've tried to do something good, it only served to make things worse. Because they had forgotten and forsaken God in every way. You see, when sin is ruling in life, it always shackles God's blessings in any manner that He might want to bring them, as well as any measure that He may want to bestow them. And hard times are created as a direct result of sin or sin's consequences in life. At other times, hard times may come up on our lives not because of our own sin, but because of the brokenness of sin's prevalent effects over the world. Or, in, in many occasions, because sin is so prevalent around us that it prevents us from believing, from trusting, and from following Jesus. And I'll just insert a quick application here. That's why community is so important to you. Friends, you can lose your way just by the people that you put around you. And that's what the Israelites had done. The prevailing tone of the conversation among the Israelites had become so rebellious against God that even the people who wanted to obey God, even the people who desired God, lost their will, lost their longing for Him because the prevailing word was so overwhelmingly... Rebellious against him. You see friends, sin separates us from God's active presence. But forgiveness brings God's blessed presence, his provision and his active power. If you go to verse 23 and you read through the end of this chapter, through verse 33, you will see what forgiveness does. You will see how God's blessing is returned and bestowed and poured out upon His people abundantly. But listen friends, between verse 17 and verse 23 in Isaiah 30, that's what I want us to focus on in our time today. Between sin's blindness and God's blessedness, how is it that we hear God speak in hard times? In hard times. Now let me say this. I'm not going to spend time today. Trying to determine. What got you into. Or qualifying your hard time. In any way. I'm going to trust. That the spirit of God. Will apply these words. To your heart. To your situation in life. In such a way that you see that clearly. But I can say. And I hope you understand. That sin was not absent from the reason. But God will not be absent. In the solution. I want to help us today. I want to encourage us. To hear from God. In hard times. Hearing God speak in hard times. Doesn't require the right formula. To solve a problem. Rather it requires a relationship. To listen to the Lord speak. And for me. As for many of you. I'm still learning this every day of my life. How important that relationship is is for we must learn to care more about hearing God than relieving the hardness of life therefore let's look to God's word for understanding for how God works because what I want to leave you with today is simply this that God teaches his people to walk with him God teaches his people to walk with him, Listen friends, if you find yourself in the midst of hard times today, I want you to know that my hope is, and my, my encouragement to you is that God wants to teach you today how to walk not for Him, but with Him. With Him. I'm going to share four principles to hear God speak in hard time. And here's principle number one. Hearing God... Begins with understanding how He works to bring glory. Hearing God begins with understanding how He works to bring glory. In verse 18, it begins with a word that, uh, shall we say, always reminds us to look back at the verses before. It's the word, therefore. In other words, these next five verses are God's response to his people in their sin. We're going to learn something about who God is, about his nature, and about his character this morning. We can't understand what he does until we have a deeper understanding of who he is. And that's what he wants to teach us. He works in two ways to love his people. First of all, the scripture tells us, and we need to understand, that God waits to be gracious to you. God is waiting? (laughs) I thought I was the one waiting on God, right? Isn't that the way that we see it? But when we live in our sin, when we give priority of life to other things or to other people that distract us from God, we don't want to listen to God. No matter what our words that we utter may communicate, our heart is not inclined to hear God. God, You see, when God is not our first love, we will only use God to get more of the one who is our first love. And that's me. That's me. But at all times, we must understand, God waits to be gracious to you. Don't miss this characteristic of God's nature, friends. The way that you see God should be shaped by His Word Here, at all times we must understand he waits to be gracious to us. You see, God loves us too much to pander to our selfish desires and demands. But he waits patiently to be gracious towards us. So God waits. God is patient with you. That's what the word waits means. And we understand this because 2 Peter 3, 9 tells us that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. In other words, many in not only our day but in every day that has preceded our day have said God's not really God because if he were, he wouldn't allow this, he wouldn't do that or he would judge this already. And those are from voices on both sides of the argument. But the Word of God tells us that the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness. Rather, He is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Friends, God is patient with people because He wants to save you. Because He wants to save. And when Christians fail to live by faith and to obey Jesus, we we don't trust that God's provision will be sufficient and we only use God for our pleasure. But God wants to show that His provision in Jesus is sufficient for all of life. Not just your religious life or spiritual life. Life. we often think that we wait to hear from God but we ultimately are not the ones waiting God is waiting on us he's waiting on us to turn from our sin he's waiting on us to turn to him to seek him and to long and desire for more of him and if today you say but pastor I want to hear from God why does he or why would he withhold and wait any longer for me I want you to know this, that God still waits for a number of reasons it may be in your life today. Sin may still be blinding you and and he may yet to uh, see that you've uh, uh, repented, confessed and repented of a specific sin. It may be more that he must show you, he's wanting to teach you something in the time that you have or The time of redemption in his plan is not yet complete. You see, God is never dormant, friends, but he waits to give grace in his perfect timing. In his perfect timing. As well, we see that not only does God wait to be gracious, but simultaneously we should understand that God exalts himself to show mercy That while he waits to be gracious, he is exalting himself to show mercy. He's lifting himself up. And you know, when we are hardened in sin, the last thing we see is our need for more of God. We see our wants for everything else, but not our need for more of God. But when God exalts himself. And his holiness sits high above us. We can only see our need for mercy. And we will respond in one of two ways. We'll become more hardened and we'll reject God. We see that through the character of Pharaoh in Egypt when God exalted himself. But what happened? His heart became harder and harder and harder. When God speaks to you and you say no to God, or you walk away and act as though you can dismiss God, what you've done is you've rejected God. But you've also hardened your heart from being able to hear and respond to God. Or like in Isaiah 6, when Isaiah said, in the year that King Uzziah died, what he said, I saw God. He wasn't in front of me and he wasn't below me. Where was he? High! And lift it up. And when God exalts himself, friends. We can't get low enough or humble enough fast enough. Because our hearts and our lives are overwhelmed with the glory that he reveals to us. This is a heart not of one that is not wanting of God but of one that is longing for God you see the discrepancy between God's holiness and our unworthiness is crushing in fearful awe friends God may even be testing you to see if in you he is worth the weight worth the weight nothing turns the heart to see it's need of a savior faster than the exalted glory of God we must all remember all that God is doing I love the quote that John Piper says God is doing 10,000 things in your life at any given moment and you see three of them maybe I love that it so reminds me that I just don't have a grip on life the way I think I do so often what does he say in the last part of verse 18? But he says, For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. The third thing we need to understand about waiting for God is that he is working not just to make all things right for us, but to make all things right. That's the work that God is doing. And when you turn to God, you must realize He's been waiting on you. And know that He is working for His perfect fulfillment of His will and of His plan. As the song said, age to age. We are in an age headed to another. And all that God is doing is not consumed in the parameters of this body, of this heart, of this mind, or of this life. But it is in the ages of eternity, that God is working. And in salvation, He brings us in to His realm of eternity to work. When we turn to God, our life enters God's work of perfecting all things. His blessing comes to those who seek Him and His perfect time in their life. Friends, if you don't have the time or the energy to put up with God's ways, you'll never know His blessing. Because you've refused his will. Friends, the work of God always serves the way of God that is fulfilling the will of God. The work of God always serves the way of God that is fulfilling the will of God. God's justice is worked out perfectly in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the just one and the justifier of all those who seek him, Paul tells us in Romans 3. And Acts tells us that salvation is found in no other name under heaven, for there is no other name given among men whereby we are saved. People are only made right with God through Jesus. There is no plurality of salvation. There is no equality of religion's Your salvation and personal relationship with God is not just about you. It's not just about you. Salvation makes your life about God, not God about your life. That's hard for us as American Christians. God works His perfect will for all things through Jesus. Christian we submit our will fully and continually to God's eternal purposes for all things. You see, Christians are, listen to me, purchased. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Sin enslaved us to death, but salvation through Jesus Christ makes us slaves to God that brings sanctification and eternal life. Romans 6, and 23 says just that. God making you new is not about you, but all things becoming new. And this we must understand. Because he says, for a people shall dwell in Zion. Hear me, friends. God's salvation is certain and it is sure. His promise is never questionable. And while a Christian's salvation is never in jeopardy with God, your experience of salvation in knowing his blessing and present can become dormant if you harden your heart to him. So wherever you find yourself today, no matter how far from God, know this. God is waiting. He is waiting to be gracious to you. He is exalting himself today through the word that is read, through the singing of the songs, through the prayers that we pray, through the fellowship that we enjoy. He is exalting himself to show mercy to you. God is waiting on you. Have you repented of your sins? Have you received salvation in Jesus? Or do you need to confess your sins today and come in to the work of God through Jesus? Hearing God, friends, begins with understanding how He works to bring glory. The second principle I want you to see today is this, that God answers prayer. God answers prayer immediately but not always the way that we want. Can we just cut the second part of that? Right? There's a lot that do today. There are plenty that do. Many of you are looking to God. God blesses those who wait on Him. We know that. But before you despair, because you wonder if you should wait on God anymore in order to hear from you, I want you to consider this principle that God answers prayer, but not always the way that we want Him to. What does verse 19 begin to say in the second part of it? As soon as he hears it, as soon as he hears your cry, he answers it. He answers it. God's answer to prayer comes as soon as he hears them. We are all tempted to not believe this. We've all not believed it at some point in our life or another, especially when we feel like he hasn't answered our prayer, or we remain uncertain of his answer. Well, I don't know his answer, so he evidently hasn't answered it yet. Oh, so it's God's fault. I think we've gotten to the problem, right? God isn't interested in just giving an answer to a question. He's not just interested in a solution to fix a problem. What God does is he transforms lives by grace God answers our prayers the instant that we offer them. But the answer often requires a transformation in our hearts to receive that answer. Sometimes God answers prayers in ways that we don't like or that we don't agree with because He's working to transform us. Have you ever received an answer that you didn't like? If you haven't, you're either A, not being honest. You just need to take that mask off right now. Or you've never prayed. Or you haven't prayed long enough. (laughs) Right? I mean, it's not if it happens. It's when it happens. And the the word goes on to say, and though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction. ah, Can we just remove that phrase? And move it somewhere else? Because that's not a meal any of us enjoys feasting on, is it? And yet sometimes God's will for us is in the midst of the bread of adversity and the water of affliction. One way God answers prayer is with adversity and affliction. God will not remove every difficulty or frustration from your life And some he places there. It doesn't mean he won't bless. But it means that adversity and affliction will become the instrument of his blessing. Paul prayed for God to remove the thorn in his flesh that he admitted God put there. But what did God say to him in 2 Corinthians 12, 8 and 9? My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. I fear that too often we miss God's feast of adversity and affliction by putting the preservative and the artificial sweetener of affluence upon it. We come to where we can ignore God because we have enough for the moment believing that it will lead us to something more. You see, God uses and even places affliction and adversity in our lives to demonstrate His power in us for our godliness and for His glory. If I asked today, it probably wouldn't happen today though, who wants God's perfect power demonstrated in their life? You see, if I wanted to be a little fun with you, have a little fun with you today, I would have started with this question. And, oh, boy, everybody's hand would have gone up. Yes, pastor, bring it. Bring me some goodness from God today. Right? And then if I'd ask you hold your hand up as long as you want it while the sermon is preached, I hope God didn't see that. That's so often how it happens. We clamor to get in the front of the line for God's blessing. After all, we quote things like Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But, friend, we need to be careful with this one. That cost Jesus his life through a brutal beating, a mocking, and a crucifixion. And yet, we want it in some easier way. We, We think of God's power being demonstrated through victory with arms raised high. But this also has another meaning, doesn't it? What is it? Surrender. Complete surrender. You see, God's victory seldom comes through the same worldly glory by which we conceive it. We often expect from God more than He gave His only Son who was perfect because Jesus learned obedience through suffering, Hebrews says. Glory comes when God's perfect power is demonstrated in the midst of our weakness, at the end of our strength. Sometimes that includes and involves our strength and ability. But it often only comes at the end of it. You see, the real question becomes, will I trust God in the adversity and affliction to receive greater glory of His blessing? You see, God answers prayer with adversity and affliction because the answer He has for us is greater than the expectation we have of Him. And sometimes we just can't believe that God's got a greater plan for our life than we do. You see, many want to say that adversity and affliction are not proof, or excuse me, rather, are proof that God is not good. But that's not true, friends. Adversity and affliction are difficult because they're often hard to understand. And they're sometimes a result of our sin. In these cases, they help us identify the thing or the point in your life that is competing with God a competing affection, a competing loyalty, a competing love, a competing obedience. And when the adversity and affliction rises because of our sin, it indicates where that sin is competing with God or how it is competing with God or sometimes even why. And we've not looked at it, we've not considered it, and we've not worshipped God, we've not given Him glory in that place in our life as He is worthy It may be a specific unbelief. I just don't believe that that's what God wants for my life. It may be a specific deception of thinking. I I didn't know. I didn't know. It may be a a, a sinful activity in which we've engaged in our life. But it always reveals how we have loved a false hope and worshipped a false idol more than we've loved and worshipped God. I'll give you some illustrations on this one. Debt. Drive in our life, ambition that's ungodly, desire, longings, passions, discontentment, and the insatiable appetite for more that we live under. You see, the burdens of life, the failures and the brokenness that we often find ourselves in always reveals our unbelief in Jesus. In debt, we believe that more or different stuff will satisfy us. Money gives us power. Money gives us stuff. And we just think if we keep accumulating, at one day it's going to flip flop and all be different. That drive or that ambition that we have is because of discontentment in us. And we feel we have to keep up, or we feel that my kids need everything, or they need more of what is offered, or they need better than what I had. That desire our passions, sometimes our loneliness, our lack of, just overwhelms us. It drives us to pursue things that would bring pleasure to us. Sometimes we just look at all that we have and we go, God, it's just not enough. I'm not happy with it. And all of these reveal false hopes and idols that consume us. And most of them, quite frankly, if we're just honest with each other, They're completely understandable. They become completely tolerable and acceptable to further blind us from their influence upon us because we're culturally conditioned to live close to them in near proximity and they just begin to absorb within us. Affliction and adversity are sometimes beyond our understanding. I'll give you this one. And in these moments, you would say, you know, this this didn't have anything to do with me. Didn't have anything to do with anyone involved directly. But it is a direct result of the fall and of sin's influence, even in the world today. And in these moments, adversity and affliction become God's instrument to release our hold on this world and to strengthen our longing for and our looking to and our trust in Jesus. Let me give you a story that happened to my family this week. My cousin lives in Texas. And last Sunday, she was preparing the kitchen and just some things that needed to be taken care of in the house with her aunt and with her mother because her due date was Monday. And as they were working around the house, she felt some pains and went and laid down and didn't think much about it. But when she went in Monday morning for her due date, she told this to the doctor and they ran some tests to check on the baby. They couldn't find a heartbeat. They came to the conclusion that the baby was dead. But she still needed to give birth because it was the healthiest thing for her. First baby, first child. 30 plus hours of labor to deliver a baby she knew going in was already dead. But let me give you a testimony. This is just a portion of it, not all of it. There are no words that can truly express the pain and loss our families have felt this week. This has been both the saddest week of my life and the time I felt the Lord's presence most. The power of the Lord's love and comfort is real. It is the only reason I was able to leave that delivery room. We would never have chosen this for ourselves. But the Lord knew before this would be part of our testimony. We are thankful that the Lord has entrusted us with this suffering. And know He will provide us strength to make it through. Heaven holds my beautiful baby now. And I have to rest in that peace. And she ends with Psalm 73, 26. My body and my heart may grow weak. But God is the strength of my heart. And all I need forever. What a powerful testimony. There are afflictions and adversities that you will never fully understand this side of eternity. But it doesn't mean that God is not good. It doesn't mean that God is not good. God will never allow one nanosecond of suffering or one ounce of burden weighed down upon you to be wasted in your life. But you must trust Him. God is the only one that can make sense of, that can bring peace when we can't understand and heal us to use our adversity and affliction for good. The question that we must answer is, will we trust God? Will we give Him thanks? And will we glorify Him in the adversity and the affliction? You can know this, friends. God will use all adversity and affliction in your life as an instrument to bring about His will for your life. Always. Always. God always answers prayers, but not always the way we want. But don't stop, friends. Don't stop yet because there's a yet in the verse and there's a turn. God has a divine purpose in adversity and affliction to bring about his plan in our life. And when we look to God to trust Him and to obey, no matter the situation, He will work to reveal His will in you and His glory through you. Here's the third principle I want you to see today. God reveals Himself to teach us how to follow Him. To teach us how to follow Him. Verse 20 at the end says, But the teacher will not hide himself forever. He will show himself so you can see Him. He reveals himself in the answer. And friends, this is the key to our understanding hard times and hearing from God. He will not leave you without understanding. And you may never fully understand a specific situation or circumstance or the why of it. But you can trust that you will gain a deeper knowledge of God and what he is doing in Your life. You see, knowing God's will always brings understanding of Him first. That's why, even in the principles, we see the nature and the character of God before we understand the working of God. And knowing Him, understanding Him, is always better than comprehending this life. Always. God reveals Himself as what? Teacher to us. This is God, capital T. He is the teacher, and teaching changes us, friends. That's why God has chosen throughout the history of humankind to lead his people by teaching and preaching his word because teaching changes us. It enters our mind, but it doesn't sit dormant there. It penetrates to our heart and the spirit, perpetrating all the way to the soul of who we are. You see, the point Isaiah makes here is not a lesson Listen to me, in your hard time today, you don't need a lesson. You need what Isaiah points to. A person. A person. That person is the Lord Jesus Christ. Your eyes shall see your teacher and your ears shall hear a word. The big lesson in God's classroom is isn't information, but transformation through the person of Jesus Christ. In God's classroom, the point of the lesson always points to the teacher. And God as teacher walks with us to lead us. Once we know teacher, we can keep our eyes on him and our ears open to him. Here's what Jesus says in John 10. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. My sheep. Hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus leads us as the good shepherd. We look to him, and We hear him. This is the way God is leading you today. This is the way God is leading you in your hard time. He's speaking to you and he wants you to look at the teacher, the good shepherd, Jesus himself. And he wants you to listen to his word and he wants his word to bring hope and to bring healing in your life. And to bring everything that you are thinking you need today. God wants to unleash it in you. The Bible says in John fourteen six, I am the way, I am the truth. I am the life no man cometh unto the Father but by me Jesus is the one that speaks to show us how to walk with him Jesus walks and he talks with us as the good shepherd to show us the way give you a practical application of this that took place in my own life. This was actually a week where uh, I had finished the series in Titus and, and planning to start another series. And I didn't really know, and I'm sure uh, uh, um, uh, that, that who's the guy that leads our worship? i totally drawn a blank. Thank you, Tyler. I see that hand. You've now joined the ranks of Logan. Two names that I work with that I've both forgotten in front of everybody. And he said, hey, do you have a scripture or a title for your message this week? No. Friends, that's not very comforting for the worship leader. It's not very comforting for the pastor either, right? But the Lord was bringing several things and working out some things in me. And, and and here's what I want to say. Jesus speaks through his word by the Holy Spirit. How many times have you read the word and really had no anticipation that God was going to speak to you? That's how this sermon first arose in my heart. Uh, uh, God gave me this verse for a specific situation through a close friend. And as I was praying for today and preparing in, in kind of an uncanny way for me because I'm usually planned out and ahead I say God I just need to know what you need me to hear but what do you want me to say to our people as well And he gave this verse for a specific situation in my life through a close friend. And then in my daily Bible reading, he led me back a a couple of weeks to a a passage in 1 Kings 19. And he said, listen, Lane, you're you're looking for something, but you're looking in the wrong place. Because 1 Kings 19 is where God brings Elijah out of the cave. And first of all, a, a tornadic activity happens in front of him. And God's not there. And then an earthquake shakes the whole earth. And God's not there. And then fires and explosive type moments just begin to happen. And you know what? God's not there. But then a chill, just a silent wind blows across. And God's everywhere. God's everywhere. And you're looking in the wrong place. You're looking for the sham wow. And I'm right here. Right here. In the low whisper. In the silence. God reveals himself, friends, to teach us how to follow him. How to follow Him. The fourth principle. The Lord works in us. Excuse me. The Lord's work in us always involves purging of sin and purifying of life. Verse 22 shares this with us. God always leads people out of gross defilement and sinful indulgences. Even the sins that we are comfortable with and are acceptable to us. You see, when we want God to speak, when we want to know his will, when we need an answer to a decision or a solution to a problem, we, we may see and repent of a sin on the surface in our action go, yeah, okay, God, you got me in that. You did see it. I was hoping you didn't. But God's not satisfied with that. Transformation doesn't come by changing outward actions. Rather, God, the teacher, is imparting truth that is divine and eternal within us. And the sin that he often wants to deal with is the deeper root of idolatry and unbelief where pride is growing its evil head in us. It's often not our outward gross defilements that anyone could spot. From afar off, but it's our accommodated indiscretions, it's our allowances that we've trained ourselves to align with our walk in life so as not to cause too much condemnation or too much discomfort for us. And God says, "That is what stands between you and I. That is why you miss the blessing that you claim you so desire. That. Is where I want to transform you. Will you trust me. And confess the sin of pride. It's interesting how almost all sins. When you get to the root of them. Go right back to our pride. It grows so many different flowers. And they look so pretty. Until you see what they do to you. In other words, we've learned to live with these sins because we've hidden them from public view and we've enjoyed them in private. So what could it hurt? It doesn't seem to be affecting anybody else. And we've ignored regular repentance. And there at the heart of who we are, we've denied worship to God. Godly conviction leads us through sinful actions to the root of our sin, by exposing our idolatry, by exposing our unbelief, by exposing our pride. And there He calls us to repentance. Following Jesus as our good shepherd means that we purge our lives of anything that prevents us from focusing on Him. Anything that prevents us from listening to Him so we can obey. Friends, God teaches His people To walk with Him. God's teaching us today. He's speaking to us. I want to ask Cheryl if she'll come back and just begin to underscore on the piano for a moment. I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. If you would for just a moment. I'm not going to extend this time unnecessarily. But I am going to offer an invitation. Messages like this do not come lightly upon anyone's heart that gives serious consideration to God and to their lives. And I just wonder if today there are not those of you in the room who are under such deep conviction of the Spirit of God right now as He applies this to your life and as God is calling to you and pleading with you and beckoning upon you to respond to Him if we can't minister to you in this time. I'm going to ask a couple of elders if they would come to the front of the aisles. Now. (laughs) Isaiah 31 through 17 tells a horrid story of a sin-wrecked people isolated from God. Does that describe your life today? Would you say, yes, Pastor, that... That says a lot about who I am. If so, remember that those people were not too far to receive God's grace and mercy. God was waiting to bestow His grace and mercy upon them. God waits to pour out His grace and mercy on you today in the same way. If you've never come to a point in your life where you've turned from your sin, Maybe you've been in church all your life or maybe you just started showing up. But you know that, that sin is ruling in your life and God seems far from you. But today the Spirit of God is speaking to you. There is a trembling in your soul. There is a coldness in your skin and you know you need to say to God, today God I need to confess. I need to agree with you that this is sin in my life and I need to repent and to turn from that sin and to walk back with you. Save me today, Lord Jesus. If that's your prayer today, I'm going to ask you in just a moment to come forward and let us pray with you and encourage you in your becoming a Christian. Isaiah 30, verses 23 to 33, tells the story of a richly blessed life. It's full of joy. It's full of gladness. It's full of abundance, and it's full of celebration christian i'm speaking to you now do you wonder why your life with jesus isn't more like this description god still pours out blessing on people today because in jesus he shows his loving kindness he shows his grace and mercy and his goodness you can trust jesus i'm wondering if today You will. In just a moment, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite you as well. If you're a Christian here today, but you know you've been living in a way that's in denial of God's grace in your life, I'm going to ask you to come and let our elders minister to you and encourage you and help you in prayer. The final part of the invitation is just simply this. Are you having a hard time accepting these things from God today? Maybe specifically as they apply to your life. Can I encourage you? You're not alone. These are not easy teachings because life is not easy. But friends, the gospel and the grace of God is sufficient for all of life, especially the hard times. Will you trust Him? Will you believe that His mercy and His grace are near to you. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask you to come. Lord Jesus, help us right now to listen to you, to be attentive to your spirit, and to say yes to what you want to do in this place and in this time. In Jesus' name, amen.